And now I'd like to invite up someone that always helps me to remember, Dr. Patrick Cameron. My battery's low, and, and you guys, do you have anything you do today? Anybody going anywhere afterwards? <laughs> what? Pardon me? No, I just thought I might talk till 3 or 4 in the afternoon. <laughs> We'll honor your time. Thank you for joining us today. All right. Let there be light. Suzanne, if you can kill the two uh, colored ones in the back, when we film, it, it flickers through the whole thing, and it's, it's quite an illusion, but it, it's hard on the eyes after a while. So thank you. Perfect. All right. So, so here we are on this beautiful wintry day. Isn't it nice that the seasons get to give us one last kick at the can before everything melts? That's my knowing. All right, so I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to uh, join with me in a song. And if you feel more comfortable sitting, please do so. But if you'd like to stand with me, you're welcome to do that as well. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room so I invite you to step into willingness with me as I do as well in the willingness to look within and recognize the one life, the one power, that power and presence that animates my life, all lives, and claim that as our own in this moment. And it is a powerful, sacred rite of passage, a powerful knowing, a powerful remembering. So what I know for myself and support you in this is that as I come into that awareness and that realization of my oneness with that life, that this body of awareness that, that I, I rest upon with all my opinions and, and challenges and obstacles and things to figure out and fix and all of that that goes on, beneath that is this life that is powerful, grounded, the true self. And so I speak to that within you and I speak from that in this moment. And I say, welcome. I see you. I honor you. And I am blessed by your presence. I am blessed by the genius that you are, the love, the beauty, the dignity, the power and the joy that is beneath all of your opinions, beneath your personality, to the essence, the true essence of life. So we come together today in the celebration of that, that our, our spiritual journey is one of mining the depths of that knowing, that awareness, celebrating this perennial truth 
articulated so beautifully by so many amazing teachers throughout the ages. And so we reap the benefits of that. We stand upon that consciousness that has allowed us to spring, springboard forth in this moment to the new awarenesses this day. So I celebrate your new awarenesses and mine as we come together to know that not only are we doing something, but as we step into the third kingdom of creation together, something is being done unto us and we are being used for a powerful and mighty cause. For this I give thanks. This is my knowing, this is my willingness, this is my declaration, and I open myself up to that, and there's nothing I have to fix or do to be that other than to reveal it and to allow it. Thank you for your beauty and your allowing and modeling for me that possibility and supporting me in that behavior, in that being, and for this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. So St. Patrick's Day, so happy St. Patrick's Day. I'm not wearing anything green today. And it's not because I didn't think of it. I just don't own a whole lot of green stuff. So, so that way we can f have that conversation right now so you don't have to ask me on the way out the door why I'm not wearing green. We can move on in our relationship. Actually, Linda, if you would loan me that vest, I'll wear that while people are going out. So I, d I will have something to green. There's a tablecloth I could wrap around my waist as well. Anyway, we've had a wonderful, powerful weekend this, uh, this uh, um, last week. And, and I know that um, uh, if you were here at the first service, we had Reverend Penny Masick speak about uh, the co-creation process. And she's been my mentor for the last year. And an amazing woman, and she spent the last seven months working with our practitioner core to write a sacred covenant based on co-creation. And so I had, her, I, I had her up here and I was asking questions and it was powerful and, and amazing and beautiful. And it was a very deep weekend because not everybody can be there and that's okay. I, it, the one, the, everybody's always where they need to be. And what I know about co-creation is, see, I need to do this work, and so I just get to invite other people along. And if people want to come along, they come along. And if they don't, then I get to just say, well, okay. Because that's not, I, I, I'm just in, engaged in this work because I know for myself that it's important for me. You cannot, and none of us can take anywhere where, anybody where we haven't gone ourselves. And so Dr. Holmes wrote this amazing um, body of work that he left us, The Science of Mind. And the, the thing that's beautiful about it is, is that uh, Dr. Holmes, there's, there's levels and degrees of awakening. And he's written about it. And one of the things that Reverend Penny's done with her work is they've, her and Marcia Sutton and uh, Lloyd Strom, who the, really put the co-creation work together, have really identified quite beautifully what that, what that involves. And so really what it is in, in, in the, um, on our journey is a, an ever-deepening of healing. And the healing really is, as I mentioned in my opening prayer, is really about that, that body of awareness that we all contain, that is, that is within us. And yet, why don't we reveal it? Why don't we share it? What keeps us from being that presence on the planet? Mary Oliver, one of my favorite poets, wrote, and I, I, I got home after the co-creation last night, and. I, and it was so full of the experience because when you're together in that sacred awareness and the conversations are real and they're authentic and, and they can be very tender and they can be very deep and they can be very, very powerful, 
um, it, it's just, it creates a, a, a container of, of love that's just quite beautiful. It's a generosity. And so when I came home, I was kind of thinking about what to share with you today. Because uh, sometimes you're so full of the, uh, the experience, it's hard to put words to it. Mary Oliver said uh, from her poem, When Death Comes, When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. And I thought, doesn't that say it all? In, in terms of, of what our teaching is, is that what, as we move through the awarenesses of consciousness, as Dr. Holmes beautifully articulated, we, as we start to wake up in, in the kingdom of consciousness, of consciousness number one, where most people, we all start, and as, as Reverend Penny said earlier in her, her discussion, I said, speak to the, the, the uh, kingdoms of consciousness, because people are always asking me about that. In, the, in Kingdom One, it's the pre-personal consciousness where our spirits aren't awake. So everything feels like it's being done unto us. So we feel like we're victimized. And we feel like we can't do, and, we, and, and so we're just at the mercy of everything that sort of floats into our awareness. And then we, we come along and we read a book. We read uh, Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life, or we read uh, something that, that starts to awaken within us an awareness about possibility. And we start to go to, a, we get together with a group or we go to a center like this. And um, I just met with a couple going out the door and they lived in Kelowna for the last 15 years and they moved here and found a center and, and they had no idea there was a center in Kelowna. And I said, well, that's the, that's the way it works. And they're going back to visit. I said, well, maybe I'll go guest speak when you're there and that way you'll feel like you're at home. <laughs> so, but, you know, here's one of our great teachers, our spiritual leader of the organization in Kelowna. And so, you know, we find those things when we're ready. I don't think there's any accidents. When we're not ready, we don't, do the, we don't step through the doorway. And so, but when, when we're in that victim consciousness is what con, and, um, the first kingdom of consciousness is, it, it doesn't feel good. And so what, what, that, what that body of awareness within us is doing is propelling us or calling, uh, calling to myself that the, you know that there's something not right, but you can't quite figure it out. And so what do you do? Because, it, it, you know, are we here to suffer? And, and so there's a lot of suffering in kingdom one. And then when, it, when our spirit starts to wake up, the courage and the awareness to move into the kingdom too where we start to say I'm going to start directing my life I'm going to start using the principles of the science of mind I'm going to learn how to do affirmative prayer and I'm going to direct my life and so we start to do that work we start to do that work and we start to do that work and it's all out in the culture I mean you go to a bookstore about self-improvement all the books are full of that and everybody has a different way of articulating it and in, in that kingdom too what kingdom two requires which I love this piece I love this piece, and I, I, don't, I don't like this piece, but I love it, because it's true. So if you know what I mean. You know the difference between loving somebody and liking somebody? Yeah, love everybody. You might not like them, but you've got to love them. Um, is that what kingdom two requires is obedience. And nobody likes obedience that I know of. Anybody here like obedience? It requires devotion, it requires obedience. Because what happens is you have to develop practices, you have to develop the, the repetitive patterns in your own life so that you can create enough spiritual depth and awareness and maturity so that eventually you're ready to step into kingdom three. 
So the have-tos all of a sudden shift and change because when you step into Kingdom 3, which is co-creation, which is all of a sudden you're not, you're not doing anything. In Kingdom 2, it is everything is done by my hand. In Kingdom 1, everything is done to me because I'm in victim consciousness. In Kingdom 2, everything is done by me because all of a sudden I realize, hey, I saw the movie The Secret. Somebody told me that if you watch the movie The Secret seven times in a row, that you'll, you'll advance like astronomically in consciousness. So I went home and I watched it six and a half times. I never got through the seventh time, so I don't know what'll happen. I wish it were that easy. I wish it were that easy. I could just watch something seven times. But in Kingdom 3, then everything is done through us. And what happens when, when we have to... So, but we have to get really good in Kingdom 2, which requires obedience. And it requires devotion. And it requires serious practice. And when I heard that over the weekend, we were sharing that, I thought, oh my gosh, because we don't go to monasteries. Anybody here been? I know there's probably some people that have been to a monastery or have been in the, to, in the convent. Anybody? Linda, you were a nun for a few years, weren't you? Somebody told me Linda Wolf had been a nun before she became a realtor and then a practitioner. But maybe a past lifetime you were a nun. Um, but anyway, so we, we don't do that in the West for the most part, unless we join a seminary. And new pope, how about that? Pretty exciting. I'm excited about the new pope. I read about something else now. The, I, wish him very, I wish him well. I, I truly wish, wish him well. And I think it's interesting to watch that they've selected a Jesuit, which they haven't liked for a long time. So I think it's a, it'll be interesting. It'll be a fun time. But all of it is consciousness-seeking expression. And so what, what I know about this kingdom, too, is... So I thought about this over the weekend, and I realized that when I was younger... I went to, I went to, uh, I left Minnesota, I went to Los Angeles in 1979, I was going to be rich and famous, I was going to be an actor. And I spent a lot of years while I was in university doing plays, summer stock, all kinds of things. I'd done about 75 plays before I went to LA, so I knew where, how to stand, how to deliver a line, and you know, and all this stuff. And when I got there, what I ended up doing was, I, I was constantly working. I was, I, I, I worked non-stop with a job. I found construction jobs and I worked as a laborer, worked myself up, developed my skills, bought tools, became a journeyman carpenter over a series, period of time. But what my monastery became was my work and then every once in a while a, a, a doorway would open and they'd say, hey audition, go audition. So I'd drop everything, I'd run off to pursue my dream and I'd go back. And most of the time I wouldn't get the results I was looking for. But what, that, what, what I realized, my monastery was that immersion in that pursuit of a dream. And what I developed in that was the persistence and the, the staying power required to do the work that I was really called to do. But at the time, I was in it, and I didn't realize that this was a means to an end. I thought this was the end. But I would work as I could. I'd work as many hours as I possibly could. A lot of times I would do. Even when I was doing ministry initially, I would do ministry in the morning, and I would go home, and I would be building cabinets in my shop in the afternoon. So it was constantly in this. And, and it, it, but it was my it was my it was my monastery. And then what I found too is because I started to get frustrated because I couldn't do enough spiritual practice. And then finally somebody said to me, "Well, why do you need to sit still to do spiritual practice? Why can't your work be spiritual practice?" And I thought, "Oh my gosh." So I said, I'll do that. So every time I stood over and I had a, a set of drawings, I would design kitchens for people. I was really good at it. I could go in and I'd sell the job, I'd draw the job, I'd build the job, and then I'd try and collect the money from them. <laughs> but that was where my consciousness was at the time. 
And so I always, I always attract, because I lived in such lack, I would attract customers that would demand the highest and the best of me, and then it was always a challenge to get them to, to uphold their part of the bargain. And I always, I would, more times than not, sometimes I'd attract somebody really wonderful and generous and really appreciative, but most of the time not. But I realized all of it was a result of my consciousness, and so what it did was it, it, it forced me to grow the discipline and the awareness so that I could have the staying power to do the spiritual work as I look back now. But that was my monastery. Because I never saw, I didn't see any end in sight. I never even thought about an end. I just thought about getting through this day. Well, let's get through this day and not make a mistake so we don't have to rebuild the whole job. You know, I'd have guys, I'd I'd, I'd always bring people in, they always say, you gotta train people. And I'd bring people in to train them. And then pretty soon I'm paying people very well to stand around and watch me work all day long. Because I didn't know how to train them. It wasn't their fault. This is cool, this guy hired me to watch him work all day long, I love this guy. Best boss I ever had. So, but, but, but how many of our journeys are like that? How many of our, our, how many of, because all of it is our curriculum. All of it is our curriculum to advance in consciousness. I have this wonderful book by uh, Robert Thurman, it's called Infinite Life, and he's a practicing Buddhist. He also is the father of a very famous actress by the name of uh, Uma, is it? Uma Thurman, yeah. This guy's quite remarkable. He is a um, college professor for 30 years, holds the first endowed chair in Indo-Tibetan Buddhist studies in American, in America at Columbia University, which is in New York City. The co-founder, the president of the Tibet House New York, an organization dedicated to preserving the endangered civilization of Tibet, and, and on and on and on. And so he wrote this book about Buddhist practices, The Seven Infinite Life, Seven Virtues for Living Well. And yesterday at the co-creation, we talked a lot. It was a really honest conversation. It was very deep. And so we all have errors of belief. As Reverend Penny Masick talked about the first service, that we have the idea. We come up with the idea of what we'd like to experience. And then what we need to do is we... It, so that's the ideal. And then we move it down through our imagination and through our intellect and through our emotions and finally into the body of our affairs. But for many of us, we come up with the ideal to say, yeah, I want this. And then, and then so we teach affirmative prayer. I'm going to do an affirmative prayer and I'm going to have this. And then all of a sudden, the ideal and the, the body of our affairs don't match. And as she said earlier today, it's like having a kink in the garden hose. There's something kink in the hose. And if we're not demonstrating what we'd like to have at the level of the ideal, then how do we, then how do we unkink the hose? Because the, the Tao will tell us, the Tao Te Ching will tell us about the flow of life. And the Buddhists will speak of it in a different way. So there's kinks in our, in our spiritual hose. And so that's why we come together and we do our practice and we do our celebration and, and things come up for us. So the curriculum is really in, in the, the challenges that come up for us as we go along. So what I did as I was doing my, my immersion in my monastery in Los Angeles was I realized that my work had to become my prayer. And if my work never changed from where I was, I was going to shift my awareness and my perception so that that was going to be enough. And it's paradoxical because as soon as I started to make those agreements with myself, everything started to shift and change. Because what I was holding on to so tightly and longing for and, and, and having to have to feel complete was the very thing that was keeping me from having the joy and the freedom that I was looking for. And it's paradoxical because we say, well, let's set an intention. Let's go in a certain direction. But see, if you look at what Dr. Holmes talked about in affirmative prayer, there's a process in it where, where you get to the end of it and you release it. 
you release it. And it's so hard to release it. Because I would say in my prayer, I now release this, this prayer unto the law, which is redundant, because what Holmes meant about releasing, so I've been teaching affirmative prayer wrong for the last 30 years, and I was taught wrong. The releasing is really, as, as Marcia Sutton and Lloyd have talked about, the releasing is really releasing anything in my consciousness that in any way, shape, or form obstructs the experience that I'm longing to have. It's a much more powerful form of release. You can still release your prayer under the law, but you've said it, you've thought it, it's already released under the law. It'd be like me standing up here and saying, now I'm going to take a breath in, now I'm going to take a breath out. Wouldn't that get boring after about a minute? It's redundant. It's already been released because we always impress upon the infinite law. So the releasing step is to release anything within our being that is restricting the experience. And that's transformative because it's a constant shedding. So in, Dr. in, in um, Dr. Robert Thurman's book, he tells a story. I won't tell you the whole story. He talks about Shambhala and this wise king that came in and said, and it was uh, influenced by the Hindu tradition or the caste system. And, and it's, um, of course, it's a fantasy story, but he decided that he would change all the caste systems to the diamond caste. Everyone, everyone, everyone is now a king and a queen. It changed the whole thing. And it's a, it's a beautiful story he articulates. But the point he's leading up to is he, he cites this American author, and I know we're in Canada, um, but, it's, and it's, it, but it's so similar. In Philip Slater, he, he's a respected sociologist, and he authored a book called A Dream Deferred, America's Discontent and the Search for a New Democratic Ideal. It's in the last chapter of his book. He pins the decline of democracy and on institutionalized submissiveness. Institutionalized submissiveness. He says that our society is really authoritarian, filled with individuals who lack true self-confidence and feel internally powerless. I read that and it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up because I, I can relate to that. Individuals who lack true self-confidence and feel internally powerless. Their inner self-loathing causes them to confirm rather than question. Fearing real freedom, they feel most secure when confined. Therefore, conformists look outside of themselves for a source of strength and worthiness. Ironically, they look to those who reinforce their own self of worthlessness, harsh superiors who seem totally sure of themselves, and the correctness of their decisions. In the end, however, conformists realize that they are unhappy with being controlled by others. However, their leaders harness this frustrated energy, the power of focused hatred, and channel it against various enemy targets in order to distract people from a more healthy desire to rebel against their authoritarian imprisonment. If you, if you look at the, the present political climate, especially if you read what's going on in the United States, there's, there's groups that represent all the things he's talking about here. And he, con he continues, he says, this is no way to live. How can we possibly hope for the enlightenment of all human beings? And that's what we stand for in our teaching. Waking humanity to its spiritual magnificence. And what came home to me yesterday in our discussion with co-creation, which was beautiful and powerful, is we have this whole list of errors of belief as a group of practitioners about not being good enough, of going into depression, of withdrawal. And this is what this is speaking because it's so, it's so comforting to withdraw who am I to be? Who am I to live in my spiritual magnificence? Who am I to, 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 to say to people, I don't, this doesn't represent me. I don't stand for this. Who am I to, 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 to take a stand? Because it's so comforting to live small. Because we're so used to it. 
I mean, look at the, look at the, I mean, I always think of the tea party when I read this. These people are just angry. They don't know what they're angry about. They're just angry. You know, we are teaching, we're a teaching of self-sufficiency, of taking our lives and, and taking it in any direction we want. But when I looked at the level yesterday, and I was included in the list of errors of belief around withdrawal and depression, my, my word was death. I'd rather die many times than do the work. Because that's what, that, that would, and that's part of, see, but it's part of the curriculum. See, it's not a bad thing, but what's important is that we all look at it in our own lives and see where it's alive. So then when we do our spiritual mind treatment, then when we go to metaphysics and say, you know what, I want to live a life that's abundance and powerful and free, uh, the vision came to me. I've been doing this work with, with Reverend Penny for over a year now. The vision finally came to me about what the possibility is for us as a community in terms of some things that I've been in prayer about for over a year. And finally, I've moved enough stuff away from me to go, wow, this is it. I see it. I finally see this. And then I said to her, what's the next step? And she said, well, then you get together with the group of people that can hold this with you and you create a sacred covenant. You write a sacred covenant about it. We, do, we spent the last seven months writing a, a sacred covenant for our practitioners. Because then you're teaming with spirit. And teaming with spirit is such a wonderful thing because when I look at it at, from my small self, when I'm in kingdom one thinking about possibility, it just seems like more work to me. Why the hell would I want to do that? I'm not even going to bring that up to anybody. But when I can move, do my own work in Kingdom 2, which is about directing this idea and capturing the vision and creating the consciousness around it to support it, then I move into Kingdom 3 with it and say, wow, I don't have to do this. Spirit's doing this. I have a part to play, but I'm clear about what my sacred covenant is. So when I start to spin back into Kingdom 1 and 2, I can say, no, 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 this is what we stood for. This is why we have spiritual practice. And so when you see this happening in the world, I mean, this is prevalent in the world. And it's no way to live, as he says. How can we possibly hope for the enlightenment of all human beings if we continue to exist in a state of, of only imagined freedom? How can we find the truth if we don't operate in a society that encourages and supports our individual goals rather, rather than urging us to obey? It's paradoxical because what, what we need to be obedient to is our spiritual practice and our spiritual awakening. What we need to be obedient to is what's showing up in our life that's restricting the ideal that we have. You know, as I sat in my, my, my cabinet shop for years and, and did the same thing over and over again, and it seemed there was no end in sight, it was a very small experience. It was very confining, but it was very comforting because I knew what I had to do. I knew what I had to do. I ha if I could just stand over these machines that I put together and continue to keep the, the money coming in and building things that had value, and I love the artistry of it, then I was safe. And then finally I got into this teaching and I went through ministry and all of a sudden, everything that I thought would keep me safe, I had to put down and surrender so that I could move into ministry. I could step into Kingdom 3. It all, all that stuff... So you give up your, your home, you give up everybody you know, you give up all your family and friends, you, come to, to, you go to another place. As, as Reverend Penny said, to, get over, to, to leave here, I've got to move over here. But I can't stand there anymore. And so as a, as, a, as a movement and as a teaching, Holmes says in our textbook, our teaching is one of love, joy, and freedom. See, when people say love to me now, I don't even... I, I mean, I, I'm... I, I'm very fond of the word love, but it scares me. I don't know what people mean by love. Because the, the, the forms of love I've seen in my life, for the most part, are, are, are not forms of love that I think are healthy. People cling, the manipulation, the suffering, the sorrow. I watch people in their behaviors. You know, it, um, 
uh, Thurman says in his book here, he said, you know, we talk about today's the power of love. At the end of this, this beautiful book, he talks about how can we possibly be loving to one another when we don't know how to love ourselves? When we don't know how to love our... Are you taking beautiful care of your body? Are you getting the rest that you need? I'm asking myself this. Am I getting the rest I need? Am I eating in a mindful way, in a loving way? You know what's nutritious for you. You know what is not nutritious for you. Are you in relationships with people that are healthy and supporting you in your dreams? Even though you're, we got, came together with the practitioners yesterday, we talked about the places in us where we have errors of belief. And it was a beautiful thing because you would get to sit there with one another and go, I get it, you're doing that, but that's not who you are because I know who you are. But I can't offer that to them if I don't know if it's not alive in me. And it's paradoxical because I have to be obedient to that and yet I have to be willing to do my own work. He says, so I'm not obedient to the people that want me to live in fear and lack and limitation. Because that's what the world will tell you. What did the government just cut back on funding? Sandy, you'll know. Programs going left out the window. It's lack consciousness. It's, there's not enough. Okay, well, what, what happened? You know, and part of it is, as he talks about in this, this amazing book, it's, he, this guy's brilliant. He talks about the political system. But if we don't want to stand in our power, it's so much easier to say, those guys will take care of it for us. And our responsibility is to show up in a world fully orbed in our spiritual magnificence and express it. And we, and we talk about it because it's a fantasy. But what, what does it look like? Carol Karn said to me years ago, she said, not one of us has embodied infinite joy in this movement. And it's not that it's, it, it's impossible or a bad thing, but we get so caught up in the, in the traps of our own uh, mechanisms for survival. I mean, we've ha- we have these survival mechanisms and we need them. That's that stuff we have to develop in kingdom too so that we can, but to, to not stay there. See, I, I realized I couldn't stay in my cabinet shop for the next 30 years. I'd be dead. I told Laura at one point in time, I said, we either, when I met her, everything changed. I, I spent, it took me 45 years to open up enough in my own being to be able to be in a, in a relationship that, that actually started to feel like love to me. It took me 45 years. And then as soon as she showed up, I said, man, this is amazing. And the next thing I know, I'm getting an invite to come here and everything changed. It was like in the twinkling, everything changed. It was like, oh my gosh. But I worked like crazy in that second kingdom for 45 years. And I still work in the second kingdom. But I'm aware enough now to know when I'm there. And when I get into victim consciousness, you don't see me because I stay home because you don't want to hear what I have to say about you. I don't want to hear what I have to say about you. But isn't it nice we can laugh about that too? Because we're, we're in all the kingdoms. We're in all the kingdoms. But to have the awareness to grow, to de- it's powerful to develop the awareness when you realize that you're being miserable for no good reason other than the fact that that's what, you've been miserable most of your life. You're waking up. Tole says that. Having the awareness that you're, you're miserable is, is the first step. But a lot of times we think, oh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about that because then I'll be miserable. Ernest says in New Design for Living, this, this book, uh, our book of the year. And I love this. This is from the Power of Love chapter. And, and what I'll say before I end this is that, so maybe our practice is that we don't awaken humanity to its spiritual magnificence. Maybe all we have to do is wake up. Maybe all we have to do this day is look somewhere in our life where we can be kinder to ourselves. 
I said to somebody a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, you own horses your whole life. As they were on the, uh, we were having a conversation on the phone. You've owned horses your whole life. Would you treat your horses as badly as you treat yourself? There's a long pause on the phone. And then there was no. And I said, well, what more can I say? How hard are you going to ride yourself before you can't go any further? And he talks about that. He said he went and studied with, Robert Thurman said he went and studied with the Dalai Lama. And he came back and he wanted to introduce his beautiful teaching to the world. And he said, I've spent the next 35 years working like a madman. Because when it's, it's tough to come in and step into this culture and not be drawn into it. That's why we need spiritual practice. That's why we need reminders. Reverend Penny said this morning, if you're in Kingdom 2 and you want to go to Kingdom 3, you've got to have somebody to guide you. She's been my mentor for a year. But part of our teaching is we're, it's all up to me. It's all up to my consciousness. And, and it would be failure if I had to have help. Why do you think Jesus had 12 guys around him? He didn't even do it alone. But you can. Good for you. I can't. I can't. And, I, and I've made peace with that. I need all the help I can get. And I want somebody that's just a step or two ahead of me because if they're too far ahead of me, it's, it's too daunting for me. I need somebody that can laugh at my failures and when I spin into my old stories of lack and limitation. Because what I know is that there's something that, wants to be, there's something that wants to be given expression on this planet, and I know that in my heart, and you know it in your heart. And I know that it cannot be given expression if I continue to play at this level. And if I continue to play small and I continue to abdicate my responsibility and my inherent gifts, and not based on my personality, not based on my ego, but to understand that's part of it, but to realize that we're called to something here. There's something deeper. Holmes said, when deep calls on the deep, deep will answer. And I want to be in that conversation more often than not. I don't think I'm ever going to not, not be in Kingdom 1 at times in my life. And I don't think I'm ever not going to be in Kingdom 2 at times in my life. But I want my touchstone. I want my point where I'm alive most of the time. I want to be in Kingdom 3 in co-creation. And then when stuff shows up in your life and you're reacting to things, you, 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 don't, you don't have to go to war with anyone. You can simply say, I've got to sit down on my prayer chair and do some healing around this. That's what I want to do. Because I've done the battles. I've fought over small opinions. Holmes says this, the only solution, our only healthy, normal, creative avenue of approach is to let the reciprocal action of that love inherent in the universal flow in and through us and out into every phase of our experience. But in order for me to do that, I've got to take the kinks out of my hose. And the kinks are all those prejudices and opinions I have about myself, where I don't treat myself well, where I'm cruel to myself, where I judge myself, I've come up short, I haven't done enough, you're not good enough. And then you sit and you hope nobody finds out. What's that all about? Because those stories aren't true. Tole said, I shared last week where Tole finally realized the story I have about my unhappiness is not true. He finally made that and realized it, and there was a split in him. I want to live not in the unhappiness, I want to live over here. Wow, look at that. There I am when I'm unhappy and I think it's all my fault. How, what arrogance. What spiritual arrogance. Regardless of this, Holmes continues, it flows out and it has to return. Regardless of the situation, the conditions, or persons that we may feel inclined to dislike or hate, we must resist the inclination. In some ways, we have to find something of value in them, no matter how big or how little it may be. Find something to like. And then concentrate on that and that alone. Maybe you like the way their nostrils go up and down when they're breathing. 
Find something to like. Then concentrate on that and that alone. Once this is done, then there can start to flow forth from us a feeling of love. And once the flow is started, there's, there is opened up to the channels of reciprocal action. As we give, so will we receive. Such a simple teaching. But it's so easy to abdicate our responsibility. It's so easy to buy into the metote, as Don Miguel Ruiz would say, this dream of not enough. There's not enough. Okay. And let's not, let's not step out in the world and, and, and live from our spiritual magnificence. That'd just be too much work because it's comfortable here. I can stand over this, this table saw and build these beautiful cabinets for the rest of my life and I'll squeak out a living. And then something within me said, you can't do this anymore. And then I made the public declaration to my beloved partner over here. She said, what do you want to do? And I said, I think I want to do ministry full time because I said, I don't have enough energy <laughs> to keep this up. And she said, oh, I can see you doing that. And I thought, this woman doesn't even know me. What is she talking about? Does she know the limitations that I carry with me? But all it took was someone in the generosity of spirit to affirm something that was a fantasy for me at the time. And if we set the intention that the right idea will show up, it will. And the right person with the right words show up, it will. But what I have to do in my own awareness, as I shared with you about the vision of possibility within this community and within our teaching, it took me a year of prayer work till finally what landed was, oh my gosh, that's it. That's, that's, it's not all the details, it's the idea. And I thought, oh my gosh. So I said to Reverend Penny yesterday, I said, so what do I do now? I have this, I have this, this idea that showed up and I got it. And she said, you write a sacred covenant. You partner with spirit. You get all the people together, the main players that can be part of this conversation. You bring their conversation together and you write a sacred covenant. And a covenant is that sacred vow you take with spirit. So then I'm in kingdom three. I don't have to do all the work. I just have to keep reminding myself when I forget that it's too much. Oh, no, 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 it's not too much. You're not doing it that way anymore. This is the curriculum. This is the monastery. See, it's a beautiful thing. So bless you for your monastery. Bless you for your journey. All of it, all of it, all of it. Has, is, is there for us to bring us to a new awareness. This is, the, this is the curriculum, the monastery for waking up. It's called real life. It's called my life. It's called heartbreak. It's called unbounded joy. It's, it's about the possibilities, about staying engaged with our own spiritual awakening and the power and the presence and the love and the light that you and I are. And it's exciting. And then we don't have to look out in the world and say, oh, they're doing it wrong. We just say, no, there's a bigger idea waiting to happen and I support that. So that, we can, so that we can model for them and for ourselves, what's the ideal? What's the possibility? Who says there's not enough? Who made that up? I'm not agreeing with that anymore. And I know you aren't either, so thank you. Happy St. Patty's Day. All right, I went a little long, but I didn't go hours long. <laughs>